this morning you asked for it, talking about eternal security, so let me invite your attention to God's Word, and I encourage you to take out your teaching outline as well as we walk through this sermon, because I want to give you some insight here about eternal security. What does God's Word say about those who are in Christ? Will you always be in Christ, or can you be lost again? So I want us to find what God's Word says about that. So Romans chapter 8, we're going to see that. Also, let me say this morning, what a blessing it is to hear you sing. And to be able to sing together and to praise the Lord together. What a great song about the cross and the resurrection and our assurance and our security in Him. Nothing can ever pluck us out of His hand. What a great thought, great song, worship time this morning. As I had been in Phoenix, Arizona at the Southern Baptist Convention, we were flying back home. We flew into Louisville, Kentucky. We had a little dog and uh, someone was keeping the dog for us. And so we drive down to pick her up. And as we were driving down to pick her up, we got a phone call from our neighbor, which our neighbor never called us. And so I answered the phone. Our neighbor said, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but it looks like your house has been broken into. And she said, I'm not sure where you all are, but you need to come home as quick as you can. We were about two and a half hours away. And so we absolutely were on our way. We'll get our little dog and we're on our way. And so driving back two and a half hours seemed like forever. And our neighbor said, The police are at your house. They're going to stay here till you get here because they want to uh, say something to you. So we finally get home, and sure as we turn the corner and and look at our house, the police are sitting in the driveway, and uh, we greet the police officer, and we walk in the house. The the person or persons who broke into our house kicked in the front door and then raised the garage door and just took our stuff out the garage door. Happened in daylight, broad daylight. So we're in the house, and we're walking around with a police officer, and he says this, I I know you're hurt, and I know you're angry. And we said, that's exactly right. But he said, but I've got good news for you. (laughs) That's really, what is good news? He said, the good news is the people knew that you were not home. So they knew where you were, what you were doing. And then the police officer said these words, which I still find amazing. He said, the good news is the people who broke into your house like you. Really? (laughs) That is very comforting now when our stuff is gone, front door's been kicked in, they like us. And I said, now why would you say that? Why would you say the person or persons who broke into our house today like us? And here's what he said. They did not trash your house. They just took your stuff. He said, most of the time when someone breaks into a house, they'll steal whatever and they will trash the place as well. They do not do that in your house. So he talked about what's going to happen the rest of the night and uh, said, we'll try to board up the door as best as we can. He comforted us, but he's saying, I don't think the thieves are coming back tonight, so you don't have anything to be concerned about. We're going to patrol the area during the night. And so we did the best we could, a door that had been kicked in to prop it back and try to keep it shut. So the police officer left, and Ange and I sat in our living room. And it seemed like our world just got turned upside down in just a matter of moments. And we sat in our living room. I was sitting in a chair, and Angie was sitting on the couch. And we thought, what in the world has just happened to us? And we prayed together. And we just said, now, Heavenly Father, we do ask for your protection over us. There's no doubt. And then, Heavenly Father, we also forgive the person or persons who did this. And, Heavenly Father, if in some way we could ever meet this person or these people and we could share the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ, evidently they need him. 
that we could share Jesus with these people. Lord, would you make that happen? It would be amazing. And to this day, we never got the opportunity to do that. But we sat there that night and prayed and just asked God for forgiveness and a chance to share the gospel. Well, we lived in that house for some time after that. But I can say this. We put security systems in and all those things that you might do. But as we lived in that house, we never felt secure in that house again. And if you've had your house broken into, you know what I mean. It's always a weird feeling. You walk in the front door, you walk down the hallway and think, thieves walk down our hallway. When I touched this desk where stuff was, somebody opened that desk and took stuff. It was always different. This morning, there are three categories of people in this room, people who are watching. Uh, One in the category is you're unsaved and you know that you're unsaved. You don't know Christ and you know that you don't know Christ. And I'll say to you this morning as we think about eternal security, if you're unsaved and you know you're unsaved, that is a risky way to live. And here's why. It's a risky way to live because life is uncertain. That There are many people who got up this morning who will not live through the rest of this day. Life's just that uncertain. So if you're unsaved and you know you're unsaved, it's a risky way to live. And we'll talk more about that here in just a moment. Second group of people in the room are watching. You're unsaved, but you think you're saved. Now get that. You're unsaved but you think you're saved. And it's because of something that you've done or you're doing. It's based on your good works. It's based on religious deeds. It's based on yourself. has nothing to do with the Lord Jesus at all. It's just based on you. And, And that is living life with a false sense of spiritual security. That's a risky way to live as well. Third group in this room. Those who are saved and you know that you're saved has nothing to do with yourself, has everything to do with the grace of God, has everything to do with his death on a cross, the shedding of his blood, his burial in a tomb, his resurrection on the third day, your turning from your sin and putting your trust in Christ, has everything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know that you're saved because of what Jesus has done and is doing in your life. You know that. And what a wonderful way to live life, to know that you're saved. If life doesn't finish this day, going to be in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful way to live. Let me say this, challenge you today. If you're in this room, you're unsaved, you know you're unsaved. You're in this room and you, you, you say you're saved, but you're really not saved. I plead with you this morning, give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ today. Why? Because the day is the day of salvation. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed the rest of this day. Give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the only one who can forgive your sins and give you eternal life and eternal security. And then for those of us in the room, we're saved and we know we're saved. I just encourage you, just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for dying and giving your life for me. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you. I'll never be lost again. And one day I'm going to see you face to face in heaven forever and forever and forever. Thank him for that because he saved you. You can give praise to God for that. Absolutely. 
Angie and I one night went to Dillard's. I was looking for a, a deal of a lifetime on something, not sure what it was, just going to find some kind of deal. And I get at Dillard's and suddenly realize God had other plans for me to be in Dillard's and finding an unbelievable deal because I met one of the employees of Dillard's and a lady, and so I was able to engage her in a conversation, how long have you worked here, and are you from here, those type things. And, and then finally it, it turned into church, and then it turned into a gospel conversation in Dillard's on a Friday night. And so come to find out, this lady gave a clear understanding that she knew Christ. She was confident of that. But then she said this, I'm sure that I know Christ, but I struggle with this idea, once saved, always saved. Dillard's on a Friday night. And so I just pulled up my little place and said, I'm getting ready to preach a sermon here on a Friday night. To, and one person, the Lord's part of this. And so she said, I said, what do you struggle with? And he said, once saved, always saved. What's your struggle? And she said, I just struggle with that because it seems to be a Baptist thing. And so I said to her, I said, ma'am, in all due respect for you, I appreciate you know Christ. I appreciate you sharing. You struggle about this issue, once saved, always saved. But let me say tonight, Friday night here at Dillard's, it's not simply a Baptist thing, it's a Bible thing. Because God wants you to know that you are saved, you have a relationship with the Son of God and Savior of the world, but He also wants you to live with assurance that you will never be lost again. You're saved in Christ. You're always going to be saved. That's not just a Baptist thing. It's a Bible thing. And so in this room, I challenge you, make sure you know that you're saved. Make sure you know you're walking with Christ. And make sure that you know that you have eternal security in Jesus. What a way to live. Here's a sobering thought. You, in your life, whether you're a kid, you're a student, or an adult, I want you to get this. This is going to be significant as we think about this message. You are preparing your own funeral message. Just ponder over that for a while. You are preparing your own funeral message. And one day, unless the Lord Jesus Christ returns and we're raptured with him, and that'd be a glorious thing, one day somebody's going to stand over your casket or a group of people stand over your casket nowadays because of testimonies and families and so forth. And people are going to say some words about you. And what are they going to say about you? Are they going to say he or she really loved UK Wildcats? He or she really loved Tennessee Vols? Here she was an amazing cook, loved to grill out, could cook whatever. Great housewife, great mom, great dad, great worker, hard worker. What are they going to say about you? Are they going to have anything to say about you to say, he or she knew Christ in his or her life. He or she devoted to Jesus, walked with him. He or she served Jesus with all he or she had. And we know today because of what he or she said to us and the way he or she lived in heaven today with the Lord Jesus Christ forever and forever and forever. Because you're, you're preparing your own funeral message right now. And what is that message going to say? You want people to stand over your casket and your life, even in your death, to be a witness to other people to say, knew Christ, loved the Lord Jesus, walked with him, loved his church, served him faithfully, and is with him in glory today. That's what you want people to say. Then they'll give you some other accolades as well. 
But you want the gospel to be shared at your funeral. Yes, from God's word, but from your life. So we were at SLU just the other day. Um, it was Friday morning. Pat Williams, who founded the Orlando Magic, 83 years old, uh, was speaking on Friday morning. I got to talk to him just a moment before the session started. And then at 83 years old, things just happened. And so he got a nosebleed, so his nose started to bleed, but he spoke through his nosebleed. Uh, that's great leadership in action right there. So he finished his session, gave great leadership insights. Uh, he talked about some books that he had written, and they were outside. You could get them. So I walked out. Some of our students went out as well and saw one of his books. And so I bought the book. And here's why I bought the book, because of the person who wrote the foreword to the book. And guess who it was? It was Coach Bobby Bowden. And so it's been about a year since I preached Coach Bowden's funeral in Tallahassee. And so I, I bought the book, and I went over to Mr. Williams, and I said, uh, I bought the book. I want to read it, yes, but I bought the book because of who wrote the forward for you, Coach Bobby Bowden. And I said, I served as his pastor in Tallahassee and then preached his funeral just about a year ago. And he said this, Mr. Williams said, so good to know that. And here's what he said. Let's look at it quickly. He said, Bobby was a dear friend to me, dear friend to me. And I thought about that. I thought Coach Bowden, but here's about Coach Bowden. He, he wanted national championships. He wanted to be the best in his craft of coaching football. But here's what Coach Bowden desired. He knew the Lord Jesus as his Savior. He wanted to serve the Lord Jesus all of his life. But Coach Bowden knew, even in the midst of pancreatic cancer, he knew that he was going to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. He knew that, and he longed for that. As you and I think about this message on eternal security, let me ask you, do you know Jesus in your life? Let me ask you, are you serving Jesus in your life? And let me ask you, do you long to be in heaven with Jesus for all eternity? Do you desire that in your life? what eternal security is about eternal life is about so let me walk through your outline here with me for a moment number one learn to ask questions as you and I think about God's word there are questions that you and I have to think through for example when you look at your life are your retirement savings always going to be there think about that I mean you work 30 40 50 years of your life and then you're going to retire and you're going to enjoy some things. But are those savings always going to be there? You understand this. You know this. They could be there or they could be gone tomorrow. Now they're fleeting in many ways. Are the people in your life always going to be in your life? I mean, think about that question for a moment. Are the people in your life always going to be in your life? Here's what I know. Sometimes people close to us get a new assignment. They relocate to another state somewhere far away, and we kind of lose touch with those people. So they're not always going to be in your life. Some or many of us in this room, we could say, and we could give personal stories about this, that we've had people close to us in life who've passed away, oftentimes unexpectedly. So they're not, they're not always going to be there because when Thanksgiving comes, Christmas comes, guess what? There's an empty chair at the table because someone's no longer there. And then think about it, are people in your life always going to be there? Well, sometimes they're not going to be because you have a relational disagreement. There's a division in that relationship, and that relationship kind of goes different directions. 
So, so when you look at it, you can't be assured that the people around you are always going to be there. Now, I want to ask you this question. Do you know that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Not that you hope so, you think so, or maybe. Do you know that you know Jesus as your Savior? First John chapter 5, verse 13, For those who believe in the name of the Son of God shall know that they have eternal life. Do you know that? Somewhere you've got to learn to ask questions. And so when we come to Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus, was amazing at asking questions. He says in verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? A question. If God is for us, who can be against us? A question. He goes on, Who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Another question. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Another question. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Another question. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And then he gets into these two questions. I want us to think on for a moment. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? How many of us in this room struggle with the love of God in life? I mean, how could God love me? How could God love me because of all the mistakes and sins I've committed in life? I've lived my life like God doesn't exist. How could God love me? Maybe you struggle with that. That's what he's saying then. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Then he gets into another question, and he says this. Shall tribulation, that just means suffering in life. Then he says distress, that just means pain or anxiety in life. Persecution, we know what that means. There are believers around the world being persecuted or famine. You don't have enough to eat. Nakedness, your needs aren't being met. You don't have maybe clothes or something else or danger or sword. He's asking those things. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, the word separate is important. When you look at the word separate, what does it mean? It means to cut off. The word literally means that we would understand in our terminology to amputate. My heart goes out to people who have to get a hand or a foot or a leg amputated. It's separated. It's cut off. That's what he's saying. Who shall amputate us from the love of Christ? Great question. Now, as you and I think about that, I want to ask you some questions here. So look, look on your outline for a second. I want to give you these questions. Number one, can a believer lose his or her salvation? So, so can you be saved today and lost tomorrow? I've had many conversations with people over the years who believe you can. Here's what I ask them. If you can be saved today and lost tomorrow, where is the line that you step over that now you're lost? Here's what they cannot do. They cannot tell you where the line is at because there's no line. If you know Christ, you'll never be lost again. So can a believer lose his or her salvation? According to God's word, the answer is no. Question two, what happens when the believer sins? When you and I sin, we disobey God, we rebel against Him. What happens when the believer sins? Here's what happens. The Holy Spirit convicts us. And our Heavenly Father disciplines the children whom He loves. Let me ask you, has the Holy Spirit ever convicted you of any sin? One of the great indications that you're saved and you know Christ, when you sin, you're going to come under conviction. But also when you sin, a loving Heavenly Father is going to discipline you. So have you come under the Holy Spirit's conviction? And has Almighty God ever disciplined you in life? That's what happens when a believer sins. Question three, does God forgive sin? 
And the answer is, Angie and I literally on our knees this morning, right over there where she's sitting at right now, as we were being prompted to pray about confession, we just thank God for 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our transgressions, our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. He forgives us of our sin. And so you just walk through God's Word. You look at David in Psalm 51. He's crying out to God and say, God, forgive me, and God forgave him. The prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 leaves his father, wastes everything about his life. He comes home in desperation. The father runs to him, and what does he do? He forgives his prodigal son. In Luke chapter 22, Peter denied the Lord Jesus on three different occasions around a campfire. And what did Jesus do? Jesus forgave him and used him. A guy by the name of Saul persecuted believers, tried to do everything he could to hinder the work of the gospel. But in Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, the grace of God is so amazing. He forgave a man named Saul, changed his name to Paul, gave him a ministry, and God is still using his witness to this day. God forgives sin. And so I just encourage you, ask questions. Now you look at David's life. Here's David's life, living his life. And imagine this, David, a man after God's own heart, commits adultery and then murder to cover it up. Nathan knocks on his door one day as a prophet and tells him this story. David is outraged and all of a sudden Nathan says, David, you are the man. I'm not talking about somebody else. David, I'm talking about you. Your sin has found you out. God is aware of everything that you've done. And then in Psalm 51, David confesses his sin cries out to God and just said, God, will you restore to me the joy of your salvation? I want you to understand this. This is important as you ask questions and walk through this. David's relationship with God was still secure. His fellowship with God was strained. Notice the difference in that. David, a man after God's own heart, relationship was still there, but his fellowship with God was not what God desired it to be or what David needed it to be. Let me get personal with you. In this room, there, there are many parents. And when you look at your kids, here's, here's, what you're go, here's what's going through your mind. You look at your kids. There are many in this room today. You look at your kids and you say what? Our kids are living on the narrow road. Here's what I mean by that. They know Jesus. They're living for Jesus. They're growing in Jesus. They're walking with Jesus. They're also following your leadership. They love and respect you, and they're obeying how you're leading them as kids. There are other parents in this room. You think about your kids or a child, and here's how you have to be honest. You would say today that we, we have a prodigal son or daughter, not living for Christ, not following his ways, not living according to God's word, and not even living according to the ways that we taught him or her, rebelling against our leadership, living out there any way he or she pleases in life. But please understand this. There is nothing your son or daughter can do where he or she will no longer be your child. That relationship is there. But here's what happens, though. The relationship is there, but guess what? The fellowship is not what you desire to be in that relationship. 
Same is true with us who are believers. Those of us who know Christ, can we rebel against Him and disobey Him? Yes. The relationship is still going to be there, but the fellowship is not going to be what God desires, what Jesus desires, what we need. Same is true in the life of David and so many other people. So I just encourage you, when it comes to this, I'm saying Paul here is asking questions, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes through this, tribulation, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. So somewhere learned to ask questions. Number two, personalize what God says. As you personalize what God says, you need to focus on truth. He says in this passage, as it is written. You're focused on the written word of God. This is what God said. Look at number one, no biblical truth. You've got to know the truth of God's word because there are going to be people who are going to ask you questions and you answer with the truth of God's word. There are people in our world today who say this, that if you have God in your life, you'll never have any problems in your life. What planet is that person from? It's not life where we're at today. Then you're going to hear people who are going to preach and teach and say this. If you do this, God's going to bless you this way. I was watching one of these televangelists. I needed to be entertained one morning on television. And this televangelist on television, they're very entertaining, by the way. And this televangelist said, if you will send me $1,000, God will bless you tenfold. He'll give you $10,000. I thought, what a deal, you know. If I just send him and his ministry $1,000, then God will bless me tenfold. I'll get $10,000 in return. And you have to understand my mind. It can be a little crazy sometimes. So I picked up the phone and I called the 800 number. <laughs> Literally did this. I called the 800 number. Lady answered the phone and I said, hey, I'm just watching so-and-so on television and I want to make sure I understood this right. He said that if I send him $1,000, God will bless me tenfold. Let me make sure. I wasn't the best student in math, but let me make sure. Does that mean if I send him $1,000, God will bless me with 10000 And she said, yes, sir, that's what it means. I said, well, what a promise. You know, that's incredible. And I said, hey, can you do me a favor? And she went off script at that point. She wasn't prepared for that. And I said, can you do me a favor? And she says, well, maybe what, what do you want to ask? And I said, can you ask that guy, that televangelist, if he will send me $1,000 so God will bless him tenfold in return? <laughs> well, he sent me 1000 so God will give him 10000 Well, we've moved since then, and I still haven't got the $1,000 yet from them. But somewhere you've got to know biblical truth. You're going to hear stuff that's just not true to God's Word. Eternal security is a truth from the Word of God. Got to know that. Number two, expect spiritual adversity. That's what he's saying in this text in God's Word. For your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. We are sheep. We have a good shepherd. His name is Jesus, but we're sheep. What do sheep generally do? Sheep generally stand around eat and get fat. That's generally what sheep do and grow wool. That's generally what happens. Aren't you encouraged you came this morning? We're sheep. We like to grow wool. We stand around. We get fat. Well, sometimes I'll preach a sermon series to Psalm 23 because it's all about sheep and the shepherd. But we need a shepherd and the shepherd is Jesus. And look what it says in this passage after that. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors. Aren't you glad you're a conqueror in him through him, through Jesus who loved us? Do you understand the love of God in your life? Folks, when you, when you read the word of God and you understand what the Bible's saying, you look at your life. Folks, he loves you and me. I mean, Jesus Loves Me is one of the greatest songs ever written in the Christian life. Why? Jesus loves me. It's not over because the Bible tells me so. You've got to understand, we have a Savior, His name is Jesus, who went to a cross and gave His life for you and me. 
Nails pierces his hands and feet. A, a, A spear piercing his side. A thorn over his head. He's shedding blood for your sin and my sin. He loves us. Can you comprehend the love of Jesus for you in your life? And so when you understand the love of Christ, you understand eternal security. He loves you not because of what you do or what you've done. He loves you for who you are. He loves you for your relationship with him. And so Paul is saying, you need to expect spiritual adversity, but understand you have a Savior, a good shepherd, who loves you and gave his life for you. You're more than conquerors through him. It's a great word. Number three, undergo a faith checkup. As Paul goes on, he says here in verse 38, for I am sure, and then he goes through this list, that neither death nor life, angels, rulers, present things to come, powers, height nor depth, or anything else in all of creation, and then he gives this great word, will be able to separate us, amputate us, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Faith checkup. What are you sure of today? Are you sure about your retirement account? Not really. Are you sure about the people in your life always going to be there? Not, not really. Are you sure you're never going to have cancer in life? You can't say that. Are, are you sure that you're going to be able to have a great career? You, you don't always say that. Are you sure that every door is going to open for you? You can't say that. But here's what you can say with assurance, with surety. I know that nothing will ever separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. You can say that because that is what the Word of God teaches. You can say that. Look at these questions. We'll finish. Number one. What did Jesus say about eternal security? Let let me just give you the, again, I'm I'm just reading the word of God for you. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, here's what the Bible says. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Are you doing the will of God in your life? Are you doing the will of God in your life? Then he goes and says that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him, not about him, but in him, should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You may lose your keys, and you may lose your phone, but I promise you this, Jesus will never lose you. He'll never lose you. John chapter 10 my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Can you imagine this? Your hand is in the hand of the Father and the hand of the Son of God and nothing or no one will ever pluck you from his hand. What does Jesus believe about eternal security? You are secure and safe in him. My sheep hear my voice. They know me. They follow me. If you're saved, you're one of his sheep. You follow him, you'll never be lost again. Number two, what does Galatians 5, chapter 5, verse 4 mean? Let me, let me look at this. Here's a verse that comes up oftentimes. Let me just read the end part of it. And please understand what Paul is saying here to the believers in Galatia. He says this, you have fallen away from grace. What does that mean? You've fallen away from grace. Does that mean you can be saved and lost again? I don't believe Paul is talking about that. I think what 
false teachers came into the church at Galatia, and what were they saying? Oh, you could, you could go to heaven, but it's Jesus plus something else. You have fallen away from grace. Folks, you and I are saved not because of Jesus plus something else. We are saved because of Jesus, period. It's not anything I bring to the table. It's not anything I do. It's just Jesus and Jesus alone, in Christ alone. And Paul was very clear about that in Galatians chapter 2 and verses 20. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Can you say you've been crucified with Christ? Can you say it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who's living in me? And then he says this, I do not nullify the grace of God. I don't change the grace of God. It's grace and grace alone. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Folks, the cross was no mistake from a heavenly father. So... I don't think Galatians 5.4 is teaching that you can be saved and lost again. They were changing the message of grace as, as Jesus plus something else. Paul is saying, no, it's nothing else. It's Jesus and Jesus him alone. Look at number three. It's once saved, always saved, the license to sin. Uh, another great question. I would just go back to Romans chapter 6 and answer that question because in Romans 6 verse 1, what should we say then? Are, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? What does Paul say? By no means, exclamation point. Verse 15, what then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means, exclamation point. When someone says that once saved, always saved is a license to sin. So, so here's what they're saying is, if I know Christ, I can live any way I want to. I can sin. It doesn't really matter. I'm going to heaven anyway. Here are two questions I would always ask those individuals. If you believe once saved, always saved is a license to sin, number one, have you really given your heart and life to Jesus? Are you saved? Question number two, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Here's why I say that. When you're saved, you've been forgiven, you're born again, you're redeemed in Christ, you know him. When Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, he is in control of everything about your life, folks, you don't want to sin against him. You want to live faithfully. Will we sin? Yes, but we don't want to live in habitual sin. We want to be faithful. Holiness matters to you and me. And so once saved, always not a license of sin because if I know Christ, he's the Lord of my life, I want to live a faithful to him and faithful to God's word. I don't want to sin against him, and if I do, I'll be convicted and be disciplined by it. Number four, how do I know that I'm saved? And I've given you these three words. Number one is testimony. You'll know you're saved because of your testimony. Can you say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me? Is that your story? Your testimony. Here's my life before Christ. Jesus changed my life, and here's my life in him now. Number two is the word fruit. When you're saved and you know Christ and you've been forgiven, there's going to be fruit in your life. You're going to live by the spirit of the fruit. You're going to live by, you're going to, by, you're going to see the Holy Spirit at work in your life. There's going to be fruit that you're living faithful to Jesus. Number three is growth. When you know Christ, you're going to grow in him. You can be an infant for a season, but there's going to be spiritual growth and development in your life. So do you know Jesus in your life? Now, here's what I want to ask you in this invitation. I've shared the gospel in this message several, several times. The gospel, his sinless life, his sacrificial death, his burial in a tomb, his glorious resurrection, his invitation for you to give your life to him as Savior and Lord of your life. That's the gospel. Here's what I want to ask you. 
it's 11.30 or so now. 11.31 to be exact. Let's say in the next six and a half hours, you lose your physical life. So, so you've got six and a half hours to live. If that's the case, what needs to happen in this invitation? Life is uncertain. You don't, you don't know. You can be wrong about many things, but please hear my heart. I'm not pressuring you. I'm not manipulating you. J just real in life. You need to know that you're saved. And whether you've got six and a half hours to live, six and a half years to live, 60 years to live, make sure you know Jesus in your life. So if you need to get saved, get saved this morning. His grace is sufficient to save you right now. If you need to be baptized, be obedient to him. If you need to join this church, be obedient to him. Another area of the Christian life, you, you need to be obedient. Follow the leadership of Christ in your life. Our pastoral team will be here. Our prayer partners are going to be here. We want to help you to be right with Jesus and live with the assurance that you are going to spend eternity with him. What a great way to live. What a great way to put your head down tonight on the pillow and say, Jesus, you will never lose me in life. You will never lose me for eternity. I'm in the Father's hand. I'm in your hands. I am safe and secure in you. What a great way to live. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross and giving your life for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for promising us eternal life, but also thank you for promising us eternal security. We'll never be lost again as believers. And so, fathers, we sing this morning nothing but the blood. I pray that there'll be people who will run to you in this invitation. In the room or online, there'll be people who will surrender their lives to you for the first time today. There'll be people who will take steps of obedience to you today. And then there'll be those of us who will just say, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord Jesus, for being my Savior and giving me security in you. I'll never be lost again. Thank you, Jesus. And so all this happens because of the blood of Christ. And so, Father, we pray for obedience in this room and those who are online. The glory goes to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.